Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Original white people are interesting. You know what I mean? Like people straight from the source. People straight from the hinterlands. Uh-huh. Straight from the the islets and the fjords of Sweden and Norway come some pretty interesting people. But yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb here is that I, I'd like to believe not 100% of them come to America to murder. I agree. So I, I think that we should start welcoming them again. I think that we welcome them a lot right now. <laughs> I think we should re-welcome them. Okay, welcome Say, to Norwegians, la- we do not owe, we do not immediately suspect you of murder. Well, <laughs> you can come back. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello, Ben. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. You're looking good. Thank you. And now we have the new open-minded, open borders, <laughs> open Henry, borders. Henry Zabrowski, well, so brave to welcome the Norwegians back into our good graces. My borders are so open, I'm wearing a brassiere on my underpants. <laughs> I am. I ate black licorice this morning. Why did you eat black licorice this morning? I just did. It's a Scandinavian thing. You know the ice. The Icelanders love black licorice. It is disgusting. No, that's they like whatever is bad. That's (laughs) traditionally. They they never got red licorice, so they didn't have any other alternative. So for them, that's just licorice, and they don't even know how bad they have it. Licorice. Uh, licorice sounds like a Greek god that is just like in the corner drooling. And they're like, well, he really doesn't do anything. He's licorice. Um, they sometimes let me clean up after Thor. <laughs> oh, that's not bad, licorice. You're doing such a good job. All right. Today's episode, this is going to be so badass. Surprisingly, not as much information as there should be about this character we're going to cover today. We're talking about Bell Gunnis. Yeah, yeah. Bell Gunnis was an American Black Widow serial killer from LaPorte, Indiana, who, over a period of 24 years in the late 19th, early 20th century, murdered at least 14 people, mm. although some historians estimate that her body count could be as high as 40. Wow. Many of Bell's victims were newly arrived Norwegian immigrants who were seduced not by Bell's non-existent good looks, hmm. 
but more by the promise of a traditional Norwegian life on a nice farm not too far from Chicago. Nothing I would like better than a nice traditional Norwegian life. Just out there, you got your wooden air pump shoes on. Oh, yeah. See, I'm, wearing the, I'm wearing the new, those Air Max 720s, but right. back in the day it was the same but made out of wood. Yeah, And it's just you with your huge flaxen-haired children pulling big, like the big tilling, like cross things that go on your shoulders, the big things with the ropes on them with the blades at the end of it. I'm not a farmer. (laughs) The word you're looking for is plow. Ah. (laughs) See, I was was thinking guillotine. I don't know. You know what, too, I think about with Norway? I think fish inside of big jars of frothy milk. (laughs) And you just... (laughs) Traditional. Well, that's the Norwegian dream these men were looking for. (laughs) But that's not what they found. It it turns out, when they went looking for the Norwegian dream, all that we found was nothing but trouble. There it is. Bell Gunness is a fairy tale villain come to life. One of the most, and I'm going to put it out there, unfortunately, because we don't like to fucking celebrate these serial killers, do we? No, we do not. We do not. No. We we celebrate uh, the triumphant uh, victims who, who perhaps beat the serial killer or the detectives who find the serial killer. But not today. Today we're what? celebrating what? No, we Belle Gunness and being a fucking, she is, she is all sorts of metal. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I'll give it a pass just because she was born in the 1800s, a different time. <laughs> to be born. Well, that's a funny thing about Black Widows. While movies give us the impression that Black Widows are hot, young, sexy, and seductive, in reality, most Black Widows look a lot more like Uncle Fester oh. than Joan Cusack. Come on, leave fact. Uncle Fester was doing really good when he got all cute. <laughs> He, I love, do you remember when he had the bowl cut wig yeah. from Adam's Family Values? He was really, really good. But you know he was sporting a real hog. Oh, yeah. of course, yeah. yes. Well, Belle Gunness was no exception to this rule. One monstrous account of Belle's looks, made while she was still around, reads more like the description of a creature from Norwegian folklore mm. rather than an actual woman. This is how it read. She was a fat Heavy-featured woman with a big head covered with a mop of mud-colored hair, small eyes, huge hands and arms, and a gross body supported by feet, grotesquely small. I mean, that's a great Tinder profile. (laughs) That is me. It's to the point. You know what you're going to get. And I guarantee you, I don't know this, but I guarantee you she's a good cook. (laughs) Maybe. Is she a good cook? Come and see how my bosoms match my shoulders and how <laughs> even my body can be balanced upon my feet the size of the apples. But she was fucking jacked. I would compare her. She is similar in the, the line of serial killer to me. She is an ultimate monster. She's a true, true monster. And I would put her close to the Pan's Ram and Ed Gein's of the world were just these birth things that just slid out as a perfect package of evil. Well, Ed Gein was, let's give him a little bit of he a break a here. He was a ghoul. He was a ghoul, but Belle Gunness was a malicious being. Like, she was yes. a being that was put on this earth to kill for money. Oh, my the thing was, Gunnis's hideousness was not just on the outside. Besides the slew of Norwegian bachelors that ended up buried in Bell's hog pits, Gunnis murdered many of her own children as well, in addition to anyone else that might suit her needs. 
This needs to be season 98 of The Bachelorette. <laughs> you all come together in one house, inevitably only one person leaves. And since Gunnis was such a nefarious character, she had some of the best nicknames in the true crime biz. The Laporte Ghoul. <laughs> The Mm. Indiana Ogress. Oh, man, this is from Glow. (laughs) This is very good. The female Bluebeard. The High Priestess of Murder. And, of course, Hell's Princess. Man, I just see her with her toad face sitting on a pile of brimstone with a big lollipop. Being like, (laughs) in hell, they call me a princess. Lick, lick, you cannot have me lollipop. Um, But also, the nickname that didn't stick was Tiny Foot Bitch. Oh, yeah. No, she had big feet. No, she had tiny feet. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Grotesquely small feet was how they described it. (laughs) And speaking of Hell's Princess, that just happens to be the name of our main source for this series, Hell's Princess by Harold Schechter. All right. It is, like all of Schechter's work, top-notch true crime, alive with historical detail Mm. and beautifully written. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, Hell's Princess is free. So just go and click the button for Harold because Harold deserves it. And if you don't have Kindle Unlimited, go buy a copy of Hell's Princess because I really could not recommend this book enough. It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Marcus. For, <laughs> for Thank you for promoting the free way that people could read my book. Um, he still gets maybe a you could... Come by my house and throw a couple of dollars uh, just at my stoop. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> he gets a cut. It's a, all. Of a, it's all a part of the deal. Of course. But it's also available in hardback right now. It's. It's. I think it just came out like earlier this year. But it's fucking great. You can also just buy it on Kindle as well if you don't have this Kindle Unlimited. That is true. I yes. never heard of Kindle Unlimited before. It sounds like a really. Like fancy fun way of saying you read too much, but that's fine. You've never read a book. I have read a book. I've read. Mo- I read Howard Stern's book. I don't read a lot of fiction. Do you think that Kendall only has fiction? This book is not non. It's nonfiction. Oh, sorry, buddy. I don't want to support Chinese property or Chinese intellectual property theft. Uh-huh. So I don't buy the Kindle. What? Hey, bud. Well, without further ado. Let's get into the story of Belle Gunnis. Belle Gunnis was born in the Norwegian district of Selbu in 1859 with the much more Norwegian name of Brynhild Paulsdotter Storset because she was Paul's daughter and the name of the farm where her father leased land was Storset. Okay. Nice, simple way to name. Your name is... Uh, you are uh, dirt, Mick, m- uh, d- dirt and stick and sh- <laughs> because of how much dirt I can see. This is, it's very, very simple to name people in the whitest parts of the world. But also, what I love, this is one of the traditional. I watched a documentary on Bell Bell Gunnis. I believe it was called The Hell's Princess, and it was they all went to Selbu, and they always say the same shit. When you go to the idyllic town where one of these serial killers are from, they'll be like, and we cannot understand how such mania can come from the delicious and wonderful fjords of Selbu. And just being like, I'm sorry, maybe it's because it's boring. Yeah, <laughs> and it's full of black licorice. No, we really don't know anything about Belle's first 14 years or so. All we know is that she was a farm girl, meaning she milked, 
She churned, she wrangled, and did all the things that farm kids are expected to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that reminded me of Amish Paradise churning <laughs> up to butter. Yes. Went and saw yes. Weird Al last week in Syracuse. It, I, was, it was great. He, oh, he's fantastic live. Wonderful. Check yeah. out Weird Al. Yeah. But Belle's family was exceedingly poor, and Belle's desire to rise up from poverty became a pathological need, and this need influenced just about every decision she made in life. Part of this need came, as it strangely often does, from a cruel nickname. Mm. Bullies form the world. Bullies should be thanked. I don't know. <laughs> she turned out to be a horrible person. This one is bad, but other <laughs> ones are good. Bad. You don't think they called s- fucking Steve Jobs like Steve Blowjobs or Skinny Steve <laughs> and shit like that? I mean, it pushes you up. It gives you it gives you fuel. He turned out to be a raging sociopath. <laughs> Successful American. See, since Belle's family was poor, they had to scavenge spruce twigs from the forest for firewood. This became Belle's job, and as a result, she was given the nickname Snurkvistpala, which translates to Paul's twig daughter. What? That's not that. I, I, I was mocked far, far worse than that. Snurkvistpala sounds pretty awful. Snurkvistpala sounds like a fun little smurf. I tell you what, it's better than being called Paul's a pig daughter. Yes, <laughs> that's not so bad. It's just a twig daughter. Now, the people of Selbu had differing opinions about Belle Gunnis when her crimes finally came to light. The people who actually knew her, such as a farmer named Rude, who employed Belle as a dairymaid, described her as a well-behaved, diligent person. Well, it's because she was great at being a dairymaid. Honestly, she was good because she also was f- physically strong right. from a little girl. Like, we're going to get to a point where we're going to see Belle grow up to being close to six feet tall, 225 pounds. Like, it's uh, not that she's obese. She's fucking jacked. 280 pounds. All right, so now we have to ask the question in fantasy matchup world, celebrity serial killer death match, Catherine Knight, Belle Gunnis. Who's winning the battle of the female beasts? I'm going Belle Gunnis. Oh, I don't know. I just burned my tip. It just got, I just, my, I got so boingoed from this, the idea (laughs) of the two of them fighting each other. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to see it. I'd have to see it play out. I'd like to see what Belle looked like during conditioning. Okay. (laughs) What? The description of Belle as a well-behaved, diligent person was far too boring and measured for many of the people of Selbu. After the crimes came to light, a newspaper called Selbigen wrote that Belle was, quote, Remembered by many as a very bad human being, capricious and extremely malicious. She had unpretty habits, always in the mood for the dirty tricks. She was a scum of society. Jeez, stone cold in such a nice accent. Yeah, because yeah, she used to show up because I actually heard that she invented the flat tire. Is that right? <laughs> and other rumors sprang up in the wake of her murders as well. Allegedly, when Belle was 17, she got pregnant by a local bigwig. But when he found out about the pregnancy, he allegedly beat Belle until she miscarried. Mm. She lived a hard fucking life. Yeah, but 
that's the thing is that it said that this guy died of something awfully similar to arsenic poisoning soon after. But in Harold Schechter's estimation, this is far from a Bell Gunnis origin story. It's hmm. most likely that this was a myth that was established after the fact. Okay. Well, there are a lot of people that wanted to be a part of the story. Like ma- like many of these serial killers, especially in the past, you're going to see people add on to these notorious stories because it gives you an identity. Like exactly. it gives Selbu an identity. They actually put a sign up for the Gunnis Homestead, what used to be the Gunnis Home, what we would call the Gunnis Homestead, which was actually the Storset Homestead, where they would go and and they actually celebrated there. And so there was a lot of folklore that was attached to her because mm. of the kind of mythic proportions of her crimes that would would come about, and she would be of viewed course. as a as a literal monster. But but also. The hard scrabble life that they came from seemed to directly influence her because oh, yeah. they were they were sharecroppers essentially, and ended up working for and seeing the richer side of town. All of these like rich people going to school back and forth every day, and she did the MC Hammer thing where she looked at it and she's like, "I want to build a glass house on the top of Compton." <laughs> right. Well, I can't even imagine how difficult it would be to play Scrabble in Norway when you think about it with the. Like, how would you even get the the words out? I don't know. Very difficult. Now, Belle was only one of seven children, and in the late 1870s, early 1880s, her sister Olina immigrated to America and married a man named John Larson. Ooh. And Olina Paul's daughter Storset became... Nellie Larson. Uh, they, I grew up with all these people in Wisconsin. They all went to. They all went to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I know every <laughs> single one of these people. And after a few years, Nellie decided it was time for her sister to come as well. So she paid the way for her sister to come on over, and Brynhild Polsdottir Americanized and became Bella Peterson. Hi, my name is Bella Peterson. (laughs) Okay, all right. Now, while the journey to America from Trondheim by way of Hull was not as bad as it once was because the travel time had dropped from about six months to ten days, the ride was still fucking awful. Yeah, dude, this it was rough getting to America. All of this boat travel sounds yeah. pretty fucking gnarly. Can you imagine what the bathroom is like on a boat day nine? I'm going to tell you exactly what it was like. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, meals consisted of hard biscuits, rancid butter, and salty herring soup that was so disgusting that most passengers couldn't eat it. And what was more, they all had to go to the bathroom in tiny, literal (laughs) shitholes where all the feces just piled up higher and higher and higher as the journey went on. Well, that's why you got to take a dump in one of those double dare buckets that has the little (laughs) red and blue lines on it. And whoever gets the dump over the blue line, they get extra herring for the night. (laughs) Do you think that they dared each other being like, okay, Sven, let me get on your shoulders. The last person to add a duke to the top of the pile and it topples over loses. And so they just try to get the top. The highest tower. Like, oh, that one's kind of gray. Oh, it's a piece of herring. Uh, but you know, I honestly paid about $45 for the same meal in a Michelin star restaurant. They're doing this now. Yes, I believe that you did. Yeah. And vomit was pretty much everywhere due to all the seasickness. Covered damn near every inch of the decks up top. Despite mm. the fact that the steamers all advertised that they all had dedicated cleaning crews to prevent such buildup. 
This must have been nice for one dude who had a poo-poo and vomit fetish. There had to be one guy that was just like, can we take it again? Can we take the ride again? I really liked it here. I am loving this. Is this Delta Comfort? (laughs) This is incredible. But even through all that, Bell made it to America, docking in either Boston, New York, or Quebec City, because we're not really sure which one. But from one of those cities, she, along with throngs of other Scandinavian immigrants, made their way to the Scandinavian strongholds of America, places like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. or, in Bell's case... Chicago. Chicago. They advertised new single women to come to Chicago because they believed that they, they, they would put these big advertisements in national newspapers mm-hmm. saying, come to Chicago, there's work for you. And so uh, these influx of these like plump Swedes and, and single, these single plump Swedes and Nor- Norweds come over through just like, yeah, they got some, they got some boat dirt on them. Which is dookie. <laughs> that's no okay. one tells you. But once you brush that off, that's some prime wife material. Absolutely. I love a big, strong Midwest gal. They're all over the place out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, when Bell Gunnis came to Chicago, that was around the time, within about five years or so, that H.H. Holmes was doing his thing. So technically, if they could have met, Bell Gunnis could have been a hero when she murdered H.H. Holmes. <laughs> she would have joined the hotel, Kissel. There's yeah. a lot of truth, and they, they there is one line of thought that was saying that she may have been inspired by H.H. Holmes. And we're hmm. going to see as we go, it's actually, there are some similarities, essentially just because what I... I guess what I'm, I'm not going to say the term appreciate about Gu- Bell Gunnis is the fact that she didn't tell people shit. That's why we don't know a lot of factors about her life, especially early on. She mm. was she kept to herself because she knew that her that secret sunk ships. And she didn't want to fucking let anybody know what her fucking scam was, much like H.H. H. Holmes that would exclu- very covertly cover all of his actions for as long as humanly possible. Live from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, 
you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. From your well, in Chicago, Belle Gunness, like three quarters of the Norwegian immigrant mm. women in that town, she took up the business of housekeeping, helping mm. out her sister's new family with sewing, cleaning, and laundry. But a life of housekeeping wasn't going to satisfy the newly christened Belle Peterson. According to Belle's sister Nellie, Belle was, quote, insane on the subject of money and would do anything to get it. Yeah, also just cut to her with her shoulders knocking Hummels off the walls, <laughs> just like Amelia Bedelia trying to vacuum the curtains. Just, it must have been a nightmare to have Belle Gunnis as a cleaning lady. It's time to clean the tables. And it's just like all set up for dinner and then just pulling the fucking <laughs> tablecloth there being like, no! No! 
Pretty intense, pretty intense. Well, from what the sister said, Belle never really cared for anyone. As far as a potential husband went, the only thing Belle cared about was how much money the guy had Mm. or how much comfort he could provide. And still, Belle's first husband was able to provide neither. Good. Mads Ditliff Anton Sorensen was a handlebar mustached night watchman at the Mandel Brothers department store, where he was paid 15 bucks a week, which is about 450 bucks in today's money. So what does the night watchman do? So they just like, his boss shows up in the morning, he's like, how was he? He's like, it was night. <laughs> Once again. I looked at the sky, and I didn't see a single sun. So... <laughs> Another good job for me. I did well tonight. (laughs) Well, the two of them were married within a year of Bell's arrival in America, and the ceremony was performed by the Reverend John Z. Torgerson, who, according to Schechter, performed so many weddings in Chicago that he came to be known as Cupid's Noted Aid. Oh, cute nickname! <laughs> Just works so well on a uh, works so well on a tombstone. Yeah, Cupid's a, noted aid. Cupid's noted aid does sound like half of the creams that I was sent for my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> but Belle didn't get to murdering right away. Nor did she do anything even remotely criminal for quite a while. She was married to old Mads for a full decade wow. before anything went awry. From what her sister said, Belle was instead laser-focused on having children. Mm. In fact, it was this need for children that drove a wedge between Belle and her sister. While Belle was never able to conceive, Nellie had already popped out five kids as the turn of the century neared. Ooh, that's a tough... Ow, that's tough! That is like being down five touchdowns, (laughs) and there is not much time left in the game. No, because you got to plant your seeds in America to continue your family line, and they love having big children, but Belle... Seem to, she just, I don't know. They never really answered in any of these books about whether or not she had problems conceiving, but it seemed like she did. Oh, yeah. Must yeah. have, yeah. Well, Belle figured, sister's got five kids. Right. Why not just let me have one? Because they're my kids, they're children. <laughs> not just yeah, but one. what if you just let me have it? Because <laughs> they're not pogs, it's not, a, like, it's not a trading card. Here's a trade for you, you'll get one. Forehead case from me. For the kid. And I keep. Do I need to put on my scary monster voice? <laughs> do you want me to do it? Because I will keep. Okay, the have child. It. Have the kid. I will keep the child. Take Timmy. But, he's, he's horrible. But the way it seems to be intimated, I read about it, it actually did become very scary. That yeah. Belle became so focused on this child that she would send her to go visit and be like, let her visit with her auntie. And she would come and stay at Belle's house and then she'd show up and Belle would answer the door and essentially be like, take her. Why don't you come and take her then? And like you had to like do, she made it physical to the point where they had to take the kid and then they they cut ties with each other. It destroyed their relationship. But this is the first example of just like, Belle is a non-stop... She's a force of nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the hand that violently rocks the cradle here. Mm. But it wasn't the sister that cut the ties. It was Belle that cut the ties. Mm. When the sister finally said, no, you're not taking my four-year-old daughter, uh, Belle just stopped talking to her and cut ties completely, uh, and they hardly spoke for the rest of their lives. Okay. But that doesn't mean that Belle gave up on getting kids. 
1891, Belle, who was well-known in the Chicago-Norwegian community as a woman who desperately wanted a child, she happened to come across a dying woman with an eight-month-old baby. Hmm. And as the woman lay dying, the woman supposedly put her infant daughter, Jenny, into Belle's arms and made her swear to take care of the child. And the dying woman's husband, shattered by grief, just let Belle take her. Hmm. at least for a time. But after a few years, the husband decided he wanted to regain custody. But Belle fought the request and was granted sole custody of a child that wasn't even hers to begin with. Okay. And it was around this time that Belle discovered the Black Widow's best friend. Insurance fraud. Oh, yeah. What I like, what's interesting, too, about Belle is that she came out, she figured this shit out. Yeah. She figured out these crimes. Like, she didn't have a helping hand. Like, she, it's true crime. Like, it was like, she might have been reading true crime things, but I don't know if it even really talked about insurance fraud. I'm not really sure. Like, she kind of pieced it all together. She lived vaguely honestly for about 10 years of her life. Right. And then it was just straight up a life of fucking crime. Well, H.J. Yeah. Holmes, wasn't he also doing insurance fraud? Yeah. yeah. Was was he, his, so it was, was like the new, thing. it was their big thing back then. Yep. Yeah. That's, been, that's when you could still get away with stuff before all these god dang laws came into place. <laughs> really stifled the American experiment. I was talking about with Nat a little bit last night. But I thought I think it's interesting, right? Because you look at people like BTK and Jeff Dahmer. They had legit jobs. Like they went to a job. They were on some level. Like we talk about it a little bit when you see the last book on the left. It does come up quite often that we say a lot of it maybe has to do with the extended game. Like it comes with like a life of leading a the dichotomy of I live this suburban normal life with right. a job, and then I'm also this monster at night. But it's interesting to see about how even Jeff Dahmer's being like, well, you know, you got to make an honest living. Where <laughs> Bella Gunnis was a pure criminal. Yeah. Like every single thing had to be done crookedly and fast and brutally. And I wonder what the difference is. What's the real difference between a serial killer and someone like her that also well, puts you in the H.H. Holmes category where you are a fucking straight up supervillain? Well, I think people like Bell Gunnis and uh, people like Carl Panzramp, they just they don't lie to themselves. They, they have no compunction whatsoever about who they are and what they are. And so they go for the gusto at every turn. Perhaps something as well with being a lady in, uh, what, the early 19th century? Maybe there's not late, a lot of... The early 20th century, early late 19th century. Perhaps being a lady in the early 20th century, not all the jobs available for you? No, you she had al- plenty of jobs. like she Housekeeping, had, things she, like that, which she doesn't like. Well, I mean, well, but let's get into where her jobs actually okay. took her. Because right. she had... Pl- there was no... No, there's no excuse for Belle Gunnis yeah. in right. any okay. way. At, there's no excuse at all. In 1884, she and her husband bought a candy store in Chicago. Oh. Yeah, where they sold cigarettes and a few groceries <laughs> in addition to the candy. <laughs> It's the Marcus store. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, nicotine and candy. That's that, <laughs> that needs to be the name of your bio, nicotine and candy. It's what fuels me. I know it. Well, needless to say, though, nobody wanted to buy candy from a surly Norwegian and her brow-beaten husband. So, after less than a year, a fire from a supposed exploding kerosene lamp burned the place to the ground when only Belle and Jenny were minding the store. But investigators never found any traces of glass. Hmm. But somehow, Belle was able to convince the insurance investigators that, yes, a kerosene lamp had exploded. I had nothing to do with this. And with that, 
Belle learned that she could get away with major crimes without consequence, and she took her first step towards the more murderous side of insurance fraud. Wait, so it started with her blowing up a bunch of candy, <laughs> and, then, and then she turned to murder? That's a yeah, pretty dude. big leap. I don't know, man. Arson and murder have been connected for forever. It's the same. It's some kind of release. It's some kind of because that's where I put this to. It's like, yes, it was for insurance fraud. But I also think she just likes setting fires. Yeah. Yeah. She might have been a little uh, black metal. She might have had a little black metal in her with uh, coming from Norway and everything. It's the same strain. It's the same strain <laughs> yeah. of people. But then I also wonder in my, when I read like all of this kind of shit, I wonder if she just she also figured because she lied her way through so much shit. Yeah. And it's interesting to see because I, I wonder if she did. It seemed from what it will see later examples. She did a lot of the. The crying woman, like she'd go hysterical, so that when they would go to like question her, and she'd be like, "I don't, I don't know what happened." Like she does this thing where I think they'd just be like, "All right, lady, fucking, let's get this over with." Like they would, she has some kind of technique. Well, her other technique besides the hysterical woman was the stone wall, uh, where she would even if because she wasn't that good of a liar. Like Mm. every time she told a lie, it wasn't like people would uh, believe her automatically. It would make you go, hmm, no. all right, like all, all right, I guess. <laughs> but you, but she could, you could never prove that she was lying. Uh, but mm-hmm. you couldn't prove. That, but she couldn't prove that she was telling the truth either. But she stuck to her lies, and she kept stonewalling people with it over and over and over again until finally, like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. She Casey Anthony did. That's honestly, <laughs> hey, that works. But before Belle was gonna get to murder. She somehow acquired four more children. Wait, what? <laughs> How the hell do you some somehow acquire four more kids? I don't know. There is no explanation. There's no explanation. She literally just showed up with these kids. And then she she did try to say, Oh no, they're mine. She tried to Beyonce it yeah. for a second. Uh-huh. Yeah, she cried, tried to claim that they were all biologically hers, but in order for that to be true, Belle would have had to shit out two consecutive sets of twins over the course of two years after not being able to conceive for the 15 years prior. It was a skinny babies because I only ate the spaghetti when I was with the child and it became a thin as a spaghetti. You buy it? I... <laughs> uh- Yes. Yeah, thank you. I kill you. Did I say it out loud? (laughs) So now she's got five kids. Now she's got five kids. None of which are hers. None of them are hers. But most likely, Belle either straight up stole those babies or bought them from desperate women. Mm. But it seems like Belle bit off more than she could chew. While two of the kids made it past infancy... Two didn't even make it past six months. Jeez. So two of the kids immediately died right off the top, which I was talking about with Marcus because I don't know because we're going to find out she is going to have a habit of every child that runs across her is going to end up fucking in the fucking grave. But my question is, is that I don't know whether it was just straight up negligence or if she actually killed those children. We it seems she, like kids just died back in the day. Seriously, did she get this, these kids by playing the rings game at the World's County Fair <laughs> and like they used to do with goldfish and they just died? immediately because you didn't put them in salt water it's just kids in big plastic bags with water up to their eyeballs it's <laughs> yeah. like 
<laughs> How the hell are all these kids dying? Well, I mean, we don't know if the kids just died or not because the infant mortality rate in America at that time was staggeringly high. Okay. Kids, it was very difficult to get a kid past like two or three years old. Mm. Uh, but it could also be that Bell just decided that four was too much. You know, there's like four kids. Uh, do I really need four kids? Uh, because, you know, she later proved she was not above using murder to solve an inconvenience. Okay. But still, two children did survive. And the Sorensen family kept trucking along. Even after Mads was swindled out of $20,000 in today's money what? by a fake Alaskan mining scam. No, yeah. he didn't do that. <laughs> they got scammed hard because a lion miner... Because, I mean, that's difficult oh. to see. Because, I mean, you do have to go to the street and cover yourself with dirt <laughs> on the walk-in and being like, I know racks. I'll take your racks. Right. Like, I get that is a lying miner. But I also feel like it spurred her. As soon as she got scammed, she was just like, I got to up my fucking scam game myself. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Because yeah. she repaid those losses with another fire insurance scam. What'd she burn down now? Uh, what did she burn down? She burned down part of their house, ah. and they had insured their belongings. So they didn't burn down the whole house, just but they burned down enough belongings to claim like $650 in losses. So if your husband or your wife asks you like, what part of the house do you like least? <laughs> Just know that you're, you're, you've hit hard times financially, and maybe that part of the house will get burnt down. The breakfast nook. I've only ever <laughs> cried in the breakfast nook. <laughs> but when the century turned in 1900, Bell decided that after almost 20 years of marriage, it was time for Mads to go. Oh, he didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't sound like. He didn't do anything right. Either. I guess. <laughs> See, Mads had taken out a $2,000 life insurance policy that was set to expire on July 30th, 1900. Mm. Now, Mads could have extended that policy, but he instead chose to switch to a policy with the higher payout of $3,000. But Mads, ever the practical one, set up the switch where the larger policy came into effect before the smaller one ended. That meant that there was exactly one day where both policies would be in effect. Ooh, very <laughs> smart. And the mm -hmm. total payout for both combined was $150,000 in 2019 cash. Ooh. And it just so happened that July 30th, 1900, was the day that Mads Sorensen died. Well, it just so happened to align perfectly with Bell wanting $120,000. So it just it just sort of worked out that way. It's kismet. It's weird how it happens like that. I what do you think though, Marcus? Do you think she planned it? Yeah. Or do you think that when, I mean obviously she planned it, but like when the when the plans were laid out, like cuz Bell Gunnis is such an interesting combination of premeditation with also these like bursts of like j fucking sudden decision, she's like, an opportunist. Like, she's she's a, an opportunist. Yeah. And so, how long you thinking she's waiting to kill Mads for one of these insurance policies? I don't think she was plan. What what I think is, I don't think she was planning to wait to kill him. I think when she saw that there was this one day when both of these will pay out, I think when she saw there was one day where she could make a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I think she just went. Huh. 
Boy, look at that. Honestly, if I wonder. Uh, that's a big check. If she did it on that's accident. That's a big a check. That's a big a check. If she did it on accident, she needs to go and play roulette immediately and just get double zero every single time because that would be incredible. No, I, I really do. I mean, I think she's, you know, like what the best criminals are, where they're able to, they are premeditated, but they're also able to jump on an opportunity the moment that it comes across, uh, that, the moment that it comes uh, to the forefront. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites. And oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs. If I have mayonnaise left over, I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash last pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash last pod. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. Yes, Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right? I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right? My job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, 
done. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. Live from your grave. Well, supposedly, Mads had come home from his night watchman job on the day he died with what Bell called a, quote, fearful headache. According to Bell, she'd given him some quinine powder and sent him to bed. Now, Bell said she then went downstairs to make dinner, but when she came back up, her husband, stone dead. Stone dead? What? I don't know what oh. happened. <laughs> <laughs> From what she told investigators, her best guess was that the druggist had done a bit of a goof up and had uh. given her not quinine, but morphine. It is what we call in my home country of Norway an oopsie poopsie. <laughs> <laughs> but when investigators asked to see the medicine, or at least the wrapper it came in, Bell had conveniently already thrown it away. Hmm. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and by stonewalling these guys, the cause of death was marked as a simple cerebral hemorrhage, and Bell was $150,000 richer. Ooh, that's a hard day at work. So, after the death of her husband, Belle visited some relatives in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And why wouldn't you want to go to Fergus Falls, Minnesota? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's right near Red, Red Wing, Minnesota, is it, is as it? a matter of fact. Uh, Gorgeous area. Oh. Is that where the water is just gravy? Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, that's right. Well, it was while she was in Fergus Falls that she decided that she and her children might be happier on a farm. <laughs> God. That's why I never let my parents go to a farm. Because at no point, because they would be like, Ben likes to run around and hit his head into walls. Maybe a farm life would work. I'd be like, no, I don't think so. They just want to put you to work. And yeah. then farms, what do we now know about farms and serial killers? It becomes like labs for your evil delights. It just yes. further isolates you from everybody else. Yeah. Or at least, you know, her children's happiness. That's kind of what she claimed to relatives. Okay. Most likely, the real reason why Belle wanted a farm is that she realized that being a miserable ogre in her 40s with three kids probably wasn't going to shake out well in the single scene. Mm. And if she wanted to pull another insurance scam, she needed another man. But you know, which that's what she could have used back in the day, was that on the Instagram, all those being like, uh, a woman's like a like tea that you don't know how strong she is until you put her in a hot water. Like you need that kind of like <laughs> like Instagram meme stuff to boost your confidence, and that's how you get a man. It does seem like she had a lot of confidence. Yeah, she did. To be fair, it, I wonder what it was like on a day to day with her because people talk about her as like inscrutable. Like you have no clue. It's like she was kind of quiet. 
And then she'd show up and be like, they're all visiting, and she's just sitting there staring. And then out of nowhere, she's like, I think we should live on a farm. And you're being like, what were you thinking about Belle this time? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what? She must have had one or two jokes in her. Yeah. You know, they're still Norwegian. It's a funny yes. area. <laughs> Chicago's a funny area. Minnesota's a funny area. Wisconsin. Uh-huh. She had a couple of zingers. Well, it's thought, but not confirmed, that Bell placed an ad in the classified section of the Chicago Tribune, and she was soon contacted by a man looking to unload a farm in nearby LaPorte, Indiana. Ooh. Now, according to Harold Schechter, who did his homework on LaPorte, as he does with everything, it seems that this town was home to a ridiculous cast of particularly American characters. Hmm. It's very interesting. I do love the first mayor that wanted to change it from LaPorte, because he's like, this is fruity name. This no, we don't need some fruity name, some French name for LaPorte. Like, this ain't some He wanted to change it to Doorsburg. <laughs> <laughs> Every house has a door, you see. Well, LaPorte is... Is French for the door. Ah. So he wanted to call it Doorsburg. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Well, in Laporte, in the inventor category, you had F.T. Wrench, who created a collapsible sanitary toothbrush. Oh. Yeah, it's for upstairs and downstairs. Very nice. <laughs> Maybe we can get him to advertise. There was Antipas J. Bowel who invented a dog-powered butter churner. That's adorable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you had Dr. S.B. Collins, who made Collins' painless cure for opium eaters. It's meth. (laughs) (laughs) This gives me the pep I need to quit opium. (laughs) More famously, you had Dr. Scholl. He of foot fame. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Frederick C. Menon, who invented both Jiffy Pop and an over-the-counter gonorrhea test that never quite got off the ground because it involved swabbing your own turds. Well, now, I mean, what? Um, so this is it. Now, are they making the Jiffy Pop and the gonorrhea <laughs> treatment in the same in the same shop? It's because the same lab. We, yeah, we need yeah. to have real. We need to have walls separating these things. <laughs> as far as the arts went, Laporte was also the hometown of Zerna Sharp, who co-created the Dick and Jane books. And you had Brewster Martin Higley, who wrote the American classic Home on the Range. Wow. There's a lot of American classics going on here. Yes, indeed. I love that book. But none of those people have survived. What book? Home on the Range? Home on the Range. It's a song. Maybe. Home, it's- home on the Range. <laughs> well, if you read it, it's a yeah, book. Yeah, if you read the lyrics, technically it's a pamphlet. Exactly. <laughs> but none of those people have survived in the American imagination quite like Belle Gunness. And the farm she ended up buying in Laporte over on McClung Road already had quite a history before Belle even arrived. Hmm. The original owner was Laporte founding father John Walker. He built this house for his daughter, but she was run out of town after the Civil War for supporting the Confederacy. Oh, just when my daughter was a racist, why did I build this house? (laughs) The farm was then sold to a man named B.R. Carr. (laughs) (laughs) But B.R. Carr's son, G. Hilly Carr, was a notorious Indiana outlaw, and after G. Hilly was shot and killed, B.R. Carr sold the farm to Maddie Altick. Mm. Maddie then turned the place into a high-class brothel that catered to men looking for a discreet good time outside of Chicago. No. They take the train down to LaPorte, have a good night, go right on back. 
God, just the shifty eyes on the way back on the train, just looking <laughs> at everybody everyone. Everybody knew. Everybody yeah. knew what was happening. You have your hat slightly crooked. One of your <laughs> shoes is missing. <laughs> but Maddie's business came to an end quite suddenly, however, when she died from a heart attack. Oh. It was rumored that Maddie Altic was actually poisoned by her sister, Eva Rupert, who ran a competing brothel in South Bend, Indiana. Oh, my goodness. But nothing was ever proven, and the house remained in reputation as a brothel. There was also a number of suicides. There was there was very strange sets of circumstances on this farm. Hmm. I do. It, there's something about this place. Like even now, they say if you go, if you go to the actual farm, there's, there's a home built on the same exact foundation of Bell's original home. Right. That they say is ridiculously haunted. Mm-hmm. And that the land is just, it's because it's gorgeous. Yeah. Like I watched yes. this like walkthrough of it. It's, it's really, really beautiful. These beautiful rolling hills that seems to have only attracted tragedy. Now, <laughs> notice if you listen closely, you can hear the faint sounds of a faked orgasm followed immediately. <laughs> oh, by a, yeah. Oh, this is the best I've ever had it. Yes, businessman. Yes, man who sells shower curtains. <laughs> Yes, that, those are the ghosts of the brothel past. <laughs> but by the time Belle was done with the farm, it would have a new reputation and a metal-as-fuck name. Abattoir Acres. Oh, cool. It sounds like all the trees are made of steel. <laughs> <laughs> and soon after arriving in the port, Belle would have a new name as well. Gunness. <laughs> got to. You got to have that Gunness. Get yourself a pint of that gun. It's got enough curbs. Fucking fulfill your need for a loaf of bread. Although, <laughs> she'll kill you and your family. Goodness. I like it. It's not a bad gunness. Okay. <laughs> See, when Belle's first husband was still alive, the couple had boarded a man named Peter Gunness. But Peter moved to Minneapolis with his brother Gust in the mid-1890s. Gust? The long form of Gus? Yeah. <laughs> what is that name? I've never... Gust is not a no, name. No, short for Disgust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's Goost. It might Go- be Goost. I think it's Goost. It, G-U- they're both terrible names. They are. Or Gust, or like Gust Gunnis. <laughs> Gust Gunnis. Next to Wind Gunnis. Next to This Is My Brother Kite Gunnis. <laughs> Good Lord. In Minneapolis, Peter married and had a kid. But during the birth of the second child, Peter's wife died. And it was around this time that Belle made a visit to a cousin in Minnesota. And she just happened to reconnect with Peter Gunnis. Now, by this time, Belle had grown into the beast that we know her as today, with Schechter describing her as coarse and mannish with a frog's mouth. She was working that field alone. She said that she talked to her, like, she dressed manly in that time period where it's like heavy leather jacket, leather cap, do it all the shit, hard-ass fucking manual labor all right. day long. And she it's the Payne's Ram fucking exercise routine yeah. where you do let nature and t- turn you strong. So, so she's just digging this kind of shit up. She's got fucking big slapping hands. I'm in love with her in a way. I, she does sound beautiful. So she's like Pepe the Frog if he took HGH. Is that right? <laughs> That's yeah, a good frog, call. Frog's mouth. Oh, right. Yeah. 
But even so, the 48-acre farm was too good for Peter Gunnis to pass up. Especially, I mean, the guy had two young daughters to think about. So that was was probably more his motivation than, like, say, greed. You know, he saw an opportunity and he took it. Mm -hmm. No, she had huge tracts of land. (laughs) Yeah, it's Monty Python. (laughs) Very good. But within months of moving to Laporte, Peter Gunnis suddenly only had one daughter to take care of. Uh Uh-oh. The infant, who his first wife died giving birth to, died suddenly herself at the age of seven months from, quote, edema of the lungs. What the hell is that? Uh, Your lungs just kind of stop working. They fill up with fluid and they stop. No. But then this is, that is one of the more suspicious deaths. Yeah. They're not really sure because Peter Gunnis by then had also become suspicious of Belle while living with her because I she just I think she just would get silent like something must have happened like living in that house with her I think she was a woman of very few words they're working on all the time and it's something about her fascination with the children what that becomes just, very scary. Oh, she just gives you the oogie boogies. Oh, the yeah. oogie boogies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, that's I would compare it to the oogie boogie man. Oogie yes. boogie man. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. With less bo- songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, within six months of his daughter's death, Peter Gunnis would be dead as well. Mm. On December 16th, 1901, the Gunnis' neighbors were awoken by young Jenny Gunnis knocking on their door. According to the little girl, her stepfather Peter had burned himself and needed help. But when Albert and Swan Nicholson arrived at the Gunnis' home, they didn't see a burned man at all. What they saw was Peter Gunnis lying dead in a bloody heap on the floor with a broken nose. So the Nicholsons called up the county coroner, a man named Dr. Bowell. <laughs> Upon further inspection, Dr. <laughs> Bowell saw that in addition to the broken nose, Peter also had a nasty contusion on the back of his head. Hey there, uh, Bell, you're a beautiful woman. His name's Dr. Bowell. Let me take a look at that. Let me take a look at the patient. Hey, uh, um, nose ain't good. <laughs> Well, right. I don't think that's what he died of. No. I think the, think of the way that he died, I think that he died of a broken heart. You think it was a broken heart, not the... Yeah, there's also this uh, big old uh, hole yeah. in the back of his head there. Yeah. So yeah. On there. His name's Dr. Bundy Ball. Right. Do, do you check his bowels, or is that just your name? I just check my own. I check my own and see how they're doing, because doctors got to take care of himself first. <laughs> uh, doctor's gonna take care of himself. It's like when you're in a plane, the mask coming down from the ceiling, and you're gonna make sure you put your uh, own mask on. Absolutely, else. the most sober corner <laughs> in Indiana. Well, naturally, Doctor Bowles' first impression was that Peter Gunnis was the victim of a murder. Murder, <gasps> oh dear. But Bell, who is given a damn good performance of a hysterical woman, <laughs> what does that look like? Just. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Chicken Lady from Kids in the Hall. Remember Chicken Lady from Kids in the Hall? <laughs> like, honest, I feel like there's got to be, there's there's something in her performance. It must it be. Me. Well, Seriously. Well, she had a whole song and dance already cooked up and ready to go. According to her, Peter had gone into the kitchen to fetch his shoes. Because Peter liked leaving his shoes near the stove to keep his shoes warm. Oh, okay. Yeah, but when he leaned down to get his shoes, 
the family meat grinder somehow fell off a shelf and knocked him in the head. Of course. And on its way down, the grinder had also knocked over a bowl of hot brine that oh. Belle was planning to use for head cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't, you fucking, you would like it, Kissel. No, she I, apparently I, was famous for her sausages and her head cheese. She had okay. this whole series of big, succulent hogs that she'd slaughter, and then we'd find out, um, they they husband fed hogs. Whoa! <laughs> but yeah, these are big ass. He's had head cheese. I think I've had head cheese before. I'm pretty you, sure. You, we should rediscover it, man, because it's wonderful. I don't need to rediscover head cheese. You it's strange a delight. culinary pervert. There's it's a no, wonderful delight. It's not a wonderful delight. It's what they eat in the Sawyer family in Texas. <laughs> it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre cuisine. Just That's the best thing pay, that they did. You just pay so much money for it. You have no. forced yourself to be like this is. Classy. No, it we go not- back to Queens. We go back to Queens. You go to a real Polish deli. I'll show you, Kissel. I'll show you, and your smile will come across your big fat German face. <laughs> a smile will spread. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Bell said that the hot brine burned her husband, uh, but still, Peter assured Bell that he was fine, and he went to go lay down. And hours later, Bell said that she found him dead on the floor. Mm. Now, while the coroner reserved judgment until after the official autopsy... This sounds like the best story I've ever heard, and I'll tell you what, I've never laughed. I haven't laughed that much since I saw Schindler's List. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Ray Fiennes should have got an Oscar for the comedic turn. Well, I I just thought it was quite sad, actually. (laughs) Yeah, 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 well, you're fucking dumb. I'm dumb and you're... But I tell you, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Sir. I, thank you. That's very nice. The Fort Wayne Daily News trumpeted that Peter Gunnis's death was just another murder in a particularly bad week for Laporte, Indiana. Even before Peter Gunnis's murder, a citizen had been killed in a bank shootout, a grocer had been killed in a robbery, someone had killed a servant girl with arsenic-laced bonbons, Jeez. and a teenager had almost stabbed his own mother to death with a carving knife. This was one week. How big is this strange hellscape of a town? <laughs> it's the Midwest. What yeah. do we now? What do we now know about the Midwest it's from this time period? It's wonderful people. Yes, they're very friendly, but they but they're also one in five is a fucking murderer. Yeah, this, yeah. they the are is a land of werewolves. <laughs> yeah, dude, there's a, it, it, this whole time period that from the 1880s into the the mid 1900s. We talked about it with fucking. We got all of the hits yeah. came out of the fucking. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cold. <laughs> it's cold, guys, and that drives people crazy. But still. Dr. Bowell wasn't ready to call this a murder, even though he found no evidence whatsoever of burns. I tell you what, the only burn I see evidence of is the fact that he married this frog woman. Hey, come on, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty roasty, Mr. Bowell. (laughs) But despite the fishiness of the story, the autopsy couldn't prove that Belle Gunnis had taken a meat grinder to her husband's head. So Dr. Bowell arranged a personal inquest with Belle Gunnis, where Belle gave pretty much, but not quite, the same story. Hmm. She said that night she'd been stuffing sausage after putting the kids to bed. Good woman. Good, good woman. Good, strong woman. I wonder, too, because it does sound like a five-year-old telling a story, too, the yeah. way she tells the story. If you're like, and then I was stuffing a sausage, and then I went to the grinder, and I cleaned the grinder, and then I put it on the shelf, and then Peter, he take his shoes, so warm, so warm by the fire. <laughs> I mean, she sounds like a Muppet, so you do want to believe her. (laughs) Well, after she was done, she cleaned the grinder and put it back on the shelf. 
And at around 11, she said Peter went to the kitchen and Belle said she heard a crashing sound. <gasps> she sped to the kitchen to find her husband on the ground, covered in brine, saying, quote, Mama, I burned me so terrible. I would love to see her rushing to the kitchen. <laughs> Just slowly sauntering. Honestly, like the Goombas from Mario Brothers, the movie with Dennis Hopper. And from what Belle said, the reason why the body wasn't burned at all was because she had quickly covered the burns in a paste of Vaseline and baking soda, mm. which prevented any lasting injuries. Then, a couple hours later, she heard Peter again saying, Mama, Mama. Mama, <laughs> mama, which is just anybody who calls their wife mother uh, or mommy. Uh, so weird, man. Yeah, mother, know. hello, good night, mother, good, good night, night, father. Mother. I'm the vice president now. Aren't you happy, mother? Can I have another boy? I actually think Mike Pence calls his wife something like that. I think she it does. is mom, yeah. 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 But anyway, no need to get into the real horror stories here. <laughs> well, supposedly, the last thing Peter Gunnis said before he dropped dead to the floor was, quote, Oh, mama, I guess I'm gonna die. Is he Elvis? <laughs> what is he? Mama! <laughs> and then he died. Oh. They said that's how he got a broken nose, that he just fell straight forward on the ground and just... Whole thing broke, and and, and that was that. The Happens. entire time Belle was telling this story to Dr. Bowell, she had not the barest hint of emotion. In fact, when Dr. Bowell asked if Belle and her husband lived happily, she just shrugged and said, quote, As far as I know. And he's like, that's good enough for me. Tell me what. I tell you what. I don't know if I'm happy or sad at all. Was, I'll tell you, they changed my name from uh, Dr. Butthole. <laughs> yeah, so this is as good as it gets for me. This is as good as it gets. Okay. Well, speaking logistically, meat grinders, they're heavy. I mean, sure. they're, they're heavy enough, especially the ones from the early 1900s. But... One fallen from the shelf probably isn't enough to straight up kill a man. Hell, I had a 40-pound metal subway sign fall on my head earlier this year. All I got was a few stitches. I was fine. You are fine. That, you you're are, fine. Oh, yeah, definitely. No changes I've seen, right, no, Kizzle? You're not, you're not wearing your shirt as your pants and your pants as your shirt. You're doing great. Yeah, you're not just carving I am vengeance into the walls with your pen knife over and over again. But I had a sausage grinder. I've had one and I've used them. They're about eight pounds. Yeah. Okay. I made my own sausages with intestine lining. That's nice. When, when did you did do, you do yeah. this? In in Queens, New York? In 2011, yeah. Huh. I had a sausage grinder. Jackie bought me a sausage grinder, a meat grinder, and I made my own sausages for a, a small period of time, which I really enjoyed doing, but it's a lot of work. And anybody who's not specifically into sausages gets pretty upset because the term for not wanting to know how something is made is don't want to see how the sausage gets made. Like that is the and it's a term for a reason. Well, the thing is, though, if you had a particularly strong, particularly large woman putting all of her two hundred and eighty pound frame into swinging that meat grinder down, then that might just be enough. For murder. Oh, yeah. We're going to know that Berserker style is her favorite. Yeah. She's fucking, she knows how to swing a fucking hammer. It might not have even been a fucking meat grinder. It might have just straight up been a hammer. Mm. It seems like she just walked right up fucking behind him. Because if you look, I mean, Oof. that's the crime. He had a fucking hole in the back of his head and a broken nose. She just went, whoop! 
and he just dropped like a sack of potatoes, and that was it. That takes a lot of strength to kill somebody in one stroke. Yeah, and Bell's performance at his funeral was suspicious to say the least. Really? Although she made sure to moan and wail at the appropriate time, she'd bury no! her face in her hands. No! <laughs> but while she had her face buried in her hands, while she was moaning and wailing, it was noted that she was seen more than once peeking through her fingers to make sure that people were noticing how much she was moaning and wailing. And it was also suspicious the way she would just randomly yell, I didn't do it! I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do it! Do it. I, is there something scarier almost about somebody who's so... I think that people that are scary are the... It's like we talk about like liars and stuff being scary and people being sneaky and like not really knowing who somebody is. But what if it's the, the opposite where the monster appears in front of you and is... The monster, like, and she is not like she's literally completely fucking insane, and so she thinks she's doing these massive ruses, and she thinks she's doing the stuff, but it's like a polite society that can't seem to just say you're a monster, like you you are doing this, while she is openly fake mourning her husband and just killing children and and dudes already. I think you've actually hit on something with polite society, uh, because I think part of what let Bell Gunnis go for so long was Midwestern politeness. Sure. It was people just not wanting to call her on her shit and just saying, okay. And that's how you want to do it. <laughs> okay. It, this sounds like every political funeral as well. Well, in reality, they all hate each other, <laughs> and then they just have to sit there and pretend to be mildly sad that their uh, opponent is dead. <laughs> I can't wait to see just one person just tap dancing on Dick Cheney's fucking cat. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, bye, Mr. Fucker. (laughs) But at the end of the day, there wasn't enough evidence for a charge, so the death was ruled again accidental another so how many accidental deaths so we got the two kids yeah we got four deaths four so far yeah no five five yeah okay. wow yeah five so far five deaths two husbands three children so this is why you said it's 14 to 40 yeah possible wow yeah. okay well what was even more bizarre to the people of laporte though was what happened a few months later unbeknownst to anyone in town bell had been quote-unquote pregnant this whole time what now, it was possible that Bell, who, as I said, was 5'7", 280 pounds, it might have been one of those unnoticed pregnancies. Like, maybe there was a baby bump there, but no one uh, really saw it. It's those, those sad stories where someone's like, I thought it was a fart. But next <laughs> thing oh, I know, yeah. my daughter Radar was born. Oh, that's not so bad. Well, there was a whole show about that. I didn't know I was pregnant. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's actually very sad to watch that show. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. It <laughs> but when a midwife came to assist Belle on the day of the child's quote-unquote birth... The midwife found that the baby had already been born, bathed, and dressed. Furthermore, she found Belle washing clothes in the backyard. And the next day, the midwife saw Belle out and about chasing her pigs around. Oh, my. Unless she was literally dropping her intestines every step she took. (laughs) She did not just have a child. Well, first of all, you know, you show up and you meet the kid. And she's just, like, excited to meet the infant, and she just shows up, and it's just me in a little sailor costume. Be like, hi, 
Yeah, Bella Gunnis is my mommy. <laughs> my name's Henry Zabrowski. Yeah. You know, like immediately, it's just like, you know, name it out. But the, she said in response to her grappling with pigs outside the day after she gave birth, was like, in all the country, the wife never gets a rest. Like, she's just straight up being like, this is just how we do it in Europe. So. Stonewalling. I see. Again, she, stonewalling. Yeah. She's a hero. Yeah. A pig hero. Yeah. And the baby was way too old to be a newborn. Okay. Yeah. But, like, but, like, it was noticeably older. Just smoking a cigar like Milton Berle. <laughs> he had a fucking Stokey. <laughs> oh, like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Just the yeah. loud baby. <laughs> but again, nothing could be proven. And so everyone just went along with it. The Midwest is very nice, but this is just bordering on extremely stupid here. <laughs> Nothing is happening. Like, where are the where's the baby coming from? Well, right now we're we're just at the very beginning. Yeah. So this is just two husbands. So I think a lot of people being like, if three husbands go, <laughs> then right. I'll start thinking. There was also the matter of Peter Gunnis's first daughter, Swanhild. Thankfully, though, Peter's brother Goost showed up soon after Peter's death and managed to whisk Swanhild away before Belle decided that the little girl was too much of an inconvenience. So Swanhild got away. In a goose of wind, <laughs> he took the baby. <laughs> the only thing Goose would say about Belle was this. I didn't like her eyes. That's it? <laughs> you didn't that's like it. That's it. Well, at least that's, that's all we it. know. Okay. <laughs> but with Peter out of the picture for good, Belle now had to manage an entire farm by herself. Oh. But she was well suited to do so. According to the neighbors, Belle could lift and toss a 200-pound hog <laughs> like a sack of laundry. Honestly, <laughs> it's if she wasn't such a bad person... It is Midwest hot. Yeah. It is just it like is. you see a woman that can just like pick it like, you know. Pick up a pig, fucking crush a whole fucking stein of beer. Make her own head cheese. Make her own head cheese, some <laughs> kick-ass sausages. If she wasn't yeah. a sociopath, yeah. looks are only, that's only one element. Uh, yeah, There's man. There's a lot of love I in mean, there. The, Medwe the Midwest was full of Heldas at this oh, time. Oh, yeah. She is a Midwest queen. Mm -hmm. she, it. But it takes a lot of fucking physical strength to be a murderer. Yeah. This yeah. was her CrossFit. We've done, we've seen this before, where she's lifting socks and she's just fucking. She can, she yanks it up. She knows how to fucking butcher it. She's crazy. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, and she had no problem shooting, butchering, scalding, and gutting her pigs whenever she needed. Okay. Not surprisingly, though, not a single goddamn person in Laporte had anything nice to say about Belle Gunnis at any time. Not even about her sausage. Are you telling me she didn't get one thank you for the good sausage? Well, she was what you might call a bad neighbor, ah. especially when it came to her cows. Now, speaking as the son of a cattleman, there's oh. nary a sin as great as routinely letting your cows break a fence line to wander over to another man's land to graze. Uh, don't even get me going on that. That cow's eating all my grass. I paid for that grass. my grass. Yeah. You know that there's at least one in ten farmers, though, are out there jerking off watching the cows eat their grass. You know what I mean? Somebody else's cows. Just being yeah. like, uh, yeah. He's I a mean, grain cuck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the typical grain cuck. Yeah. Now, once or twice is acceptable, but if it happens again and again, then you got a problem. So what? But okay, because the grass is for their cows. Grass is for yes. their cows. I'm not fucking paying. I'm not paying to have some other man's 
cows graze on my but land. To be fair, my you cows don't, need that graze. But you don't pay for the grass. It's just grass. No, you do pay. You, you pay for the land is sacred. Kissel, you talk I about wanting land, land in Wyoming. I you want to buy a tract of land. What did you make up I, another just made up sentence? Because that okay uh, to to lay it out very yes. plainly and simply is that when you have a pasture, the cows only have so much grass to eat, and right. after the cows eat all that grass, then you now have to buy hay to ah, feed your cows. Okay. So if you got other cows on the land eating up all the grass, then you're actually out very real money. I see now. Now I see. I don't want to buy land in Wyoming. You do want to buy land in Wyoming. We've talked about this drunkenly several times. We'll get into this later and more and more for the rest of your life. (laughs) Well, Belle Gunnis didn't really give a shit that her cows kept breaking her fence line to graze on her neighbor's pasture. And finally, the neighbor captured Belle's cows, pinned them up, and told Belle that she wouldn't get them back until she paid him a dollar. I want a dollar. (laughs) Give me a dollar. What is this? Make a deal? What is going on? <laughs> so Belle went over and actually stole some of his cows yep. and pinned them up at her place and said, "Now you owe me a dollar." So did she just grab them and put two cows on her shoulders and just walk <laughs> out? How the hell do you steal cows? It might be that she just dragged them out of there, and I think it's almost being like, "Now you owe me a dollar," like mm-hmm. super like. Like, oh, I didn't know who I'm fucking with here. Like, it's like, honestly, it's like, I thought that I was being extreme yeah. by penning up your cows. Like, you just cow-napped several of my cows. Yes. And you are holding them hostage. Yeah. It's like the Hatfield and McCoys if they just never brushed their teeth and never, ever, uh, I don't even know what. The just Hatfield the, and McCoys the, didn't brush their teeth either. They didn't? No. 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 We're going to do an episode on the Hatfield and McCoys in the future. It's a very fun story. All right, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, when the neighbor tried to go over to Bell's case, Bell's place to get the cows, when he tried to open up the gate to just take them, right. uh, she pulled a gun and threatened mm-hmm. to kill him on the spot. So he paid her a dollar. Just pay her a dollar. <laughs> but a dollar's a lot of money. It, what do you, what do you think, 20 the, bucks? That must uh, have been 20 bucks. Uh, yeah, 20, 30, 40 maybe. It's not that. Just give her some money. Yeah. It's, people it's, were, but people were fighting hard for that dollar, man. They yeah. had to earn that dollar. To that, That's when a dollar meant something I you know, know. <laughs> back then. And it's also about pride, too. Just straight up being like, you want, you want to see how far we can go? Mm-hmm. Do you want to see how far we can push this? Ugh. You don't think this is, you're not the first fucking dick I've cut today? fucker like you think like honestly like you start seeing the real bell immediately oh yeah yeah. scary well bell carried on like this for about two years until she finally gave in and put an ad in a local norwegian paper called the skandinavan for a hired hand Mm. and the man who answered the call was a 30 year old norwegian immigrant named olaf Lindbo. And he actually was made of snow. He was a snow man. Really? Um, he had a carrot for a nose Aww. and for a dick. Weird. Yeah. Now, it's not known when Belle Gunnis decided to kill Olaf, or if she had even planned to kill him when she placed the ad. She might have just been actually looking for help. Mm. But it is known that Olaf showed up in the port with his entire life savings of $600, which was not a paltry sum in 1904. Yeah. Olaf worked for Bell for about two months and wrote his father in Norway to say that he might marry soon. But in April, Bell went over to her neighbor, Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. and told him. I love it. <laughs> yeah, Chris Christopherson. Yep. 
The Chris Christopherson. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she told Chris Christopherson that Olaf had suddenly left. The story she told Chris Christopherson was that Olaf had gone to the World's Fair in St. Louis. That's funny, Bill, because I was thinking about taking my songs all over this great country of ours. <laughs> I don't know, maybe doing some acting. Aww. I don't know, some people say I got the look, but I'm not really sure. You, know? you, you have can't it, buddy. Them. You can't trust these agents. <laughs> you have it. But at the same time, Bell also told Swan Nicholson that Olaf went back home to see the new King of Norway crowned. It's <laughs> a big day. <laughs> Why wouldn't he travel 10 days on a boat to go see some jackasses crowned? <laughs> but she told a third story to Olaf's father, claiming that Olaf had just picked up and gone west. And again, nobody said shit. Jeez. And with that, Gunnis's murderous pattern was set. A few months after Olaf Lindbo disappeared, he was replaced by Henry Gerhardt, mm. who was drawn again by a Help Wanted ad. There's something that's very interesting about her the laziness of her lies, too. Yeah. Where she could not give a fuck what she said to this person or to that person. She just was cold as ice. Mm-hmm. Right. She, she just didn't even try to keep the story straight. Yeah. And I guess they just didn't gossip, huh? They just didn't even tell each other the stories that were told to them? I don't know. I don't know, man. I honestly have no clue I how she got away I with mean, this. I mean, gossip is not very big in the German nor Norwegian cultures. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if Chris Christopherson and Swan Nicholson were talking to each other. And Maybe they, not. And they might have said, like, he might be Chris might have told us, like, oh, he told me he went to the World's Fair. Oh, she told me that he's going to see the King of Norway crown. I don't know. Let's get hammered and go t- cow tipping. All right, cool. <laughs> so within three months, Bell was back at Chris Christopherson's place saying that Henry Gerholt had up and left for Chicago. Mm, I, th- I think he drowned in a beer vat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. If only. <laughs> so the question is, how did Bell Gunnis murder her many victims? Well, the interesting thing here is that the most common weapon in a Black Widow's arsenal is poison. Because when you're running a husband-to-husband scam, it doesn't look good to leave a lot of blood in Mm. your wake. But Belle Gunnis was much more animalistic. Judging from the bodies found buried on her property, Gunnis stabbed or chopped at least some of her victims to death face-to-face, taking them down with the rage and power of a linebacker. (laughs) It's technically metal, but it's it's awful. She just fucking would just... Fucking prison yard style. Like Ray Lewis. Yeah, one victim's arm was covered in defensive wounds, and a tuft of Gunnis' hair was found still clutched in the fist of the victim's severed arm from when the dude tried fighting for his life. I will say, she did this for a period of time. I imagine she did vary it up mm-hmm. slightly. I imagine some she... Because there's a the, one of the folklores attached to her is that she'd poison their food until they like, lightly, so they would be all fucked up and trying to sleep, and she'd brain them in their sleep. I'm certain she did that. I'm certain she did poison. I'm certain she shot them in the head. I'm certain that she did all the stuff. Ice picked them in the side of the head. They found one skull on her property that had a pinhole right at the fucking temple in it, which is just, she just fucking ice picked him, probably while he was asleep. But she did also really enjoy face-to-face murder. Okay. Oh, yeah. So after the murder of Henry Gerholt, Bell changed tactics. Instead of posting in the Help Wanted section of the Scandinavian, Bell posted a different kind of ad altogether in no less than three Norwegian newspapers Ooh. throughout the Midwest. The ad read as thus. 
wanted. A woman who owns a beautifully located and valuable farm in first-class condition wants a good and reliable man as a partner and same. Some little cash is required and will be furnished first-class security. And from what her mailman DJ Hunter said, this ad earned Bell up to ten letters a day Every day. And take it from me, DJ Hunter, the skateboard mailman. Yeah. <laughs> Radical. <laughs> Bell, how many husbands are you going through? Whoa. I think I killed about a nine. <laughs> Bell, ha, you're hilarious. Hang ten. <laughs> and from the correspondence that Bell began with select victims, Norwegian after Norwegian started arriving in Laporte with pockets full of cash looking for the widow Gunnis. No. George Berry from Tuscola, Illinois, showed up with $1,500 after telling people he was headed to Laporte for a job and possibly marriage. I'm assuming there was no picture attached to any of these wanted ads, no. right? Okay. No. no, no, no. Because, but because what she would do is that the, it wasn't, the ad wasn't for like looking for a husband. It's that guys would send letters and then she would slowly reel them in. I see. Uh, and we're going to, in the second episode is when we're really going to get to some of the letters. Yeah, but she would, she kind of seduced them over letters. She'd mm-hmm. set up this mm-hmm. being like, we got a great situation here. I make my own fucking head cheese. I'll suck that dick. <laughs> like, she did like all this kind of shit, and then there's the two biographers of her that I was watching, the interview with them, say that sometimes they'd come, and part of it, they'd show up with half their money, kind of wondering what's going on, but more times than not, it seems to be like 90% of the time, they'd spend a couple days mm. with Belle, they'd go back to Norway and come back with the rest of their money, so something's wow. going on. Yeah. There is, something, there is someone for everyone, and I firmly believe her and Leatherface... <laughs> Would have made a dream couple. Well, Christian Hickman from Wisconsin sold his farm for $2,000 and got his subscription to the Decorah Poston forwarded to Laporte. There was Emil Till of Osage, Kansas, or maybe it's Osagi, who knows. Okay. He told his boss that he was leaving to marry a rich widow. And John Moe of Elbow Lake, Minnesota, withdrew $1,000 from his bank and told the teller that it was going to good use in Laporte. Oh, man. But one of the sadder stories involved Ola Budsberg of Iola, Wisconsin. Oh, they have a great car museum in Iola. (laughs) They really do. What? They have a car museum in Iola. Is it a, that, it's a great car museum? Yes, and they have the Kissel car. I believe that's in Iola, Wisconsin. Very nice. I believe so. What, is it just like it's a fucking uh, beer wagon that runs on shit? No, it's... <laughs> oh, you're seven hours away. <laughs> well, Ola left two adult sons behind, Matthias and Oscar, and they were later unnecessarily described in newspapers as, quote, slow of thought and utterance. Ah. <laughs> That's no reason. No reason to roast them well, once their dad's dead. No, <laughs> not at all. Now, Ola had told his sons that he was going to Laporte to manage a farm, but Ola had told his brother that he was really going to Laporte to marry a rich widow. <sighs> and about a week later, Ola showed up back at the bank in Iola, with Bell Gunnis in tow. Oh. Sometimes when they only brought half the money, Bell would go back with them to their hometown and make goddamn sure they got all of it. I will just say this. Never go to the ATM in a situation where you may be paying for services mm-hmm. because they will be like, 
take out a thousand and then yes yeah, that's yeah. how that works and then there's always some dude shows up all the time like honestly being like yeah you're gonna get a thousand out but like where are you from and she's like i'm her manager yeah <laughs> when i was out in las vegas at the casino i could tell like some because i was just having fun these were all dudes yeah but there was a lot of dude pressure to pull out more money from the atm oh yeah oh no i got hit up a lot that's a weird gambling thing where i was i want the one time i played blackjack and i lost five hundred dollars in maybe seven minutes sure guy a guy across me like, you should go get more money and i was just like <laughs> this is just because i'm bad at this game <laughs> <laughs> Well, according to a cashier named J.W. Crumpacker. No, <laughs> no, no, no. That's not He's a name. A, that's a gay cookie elf. Ooh. <laughs> well, Budsberg and Gunnis cashed a mortgage note, and that was the last time that anyone ever saw Ola Budsberg alive. Bye, everybody. It's been a fun afternoon. Like, I can't wait to see that Ola again. It's wow. immediately gone. Did no one pull him aside and just be like, what are you doing, bro? Like, mean, are you sure? No, man. Because it's totally, it looks, I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. You are you are doing the thing. They they all believe that you're kind of helping society. You're marrying this rich, old, lonely widow that you don't know. You're in his town, right? So they don't know her, her reputation. You don't know that there's already been seven guys that have shown up and immediately disappeared. And she's just doing kind of the hand-picking wife thing, right? Where she's the, 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 the playing the stereotype. Where she's showing up being like, I want to be a part of this whole thing. I want to see the money. And like they're all like, oh, this is this funny old broad. And it looks like... Widow games. Yeah, okay. I think these are widow games. That's a great new. That should be screw the Hunger Games. I want to see the widow games, which is women trying to get money or men trying to get money from other people. Yeah. Fly from your grave. Fly from your grave. Well, from what a local farmhand named Amel Greening said, a different dude showed up at the Gunnis homestead almost every week, and Bell always introduced them as her quote unquote. Cousins. That I'm fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the men brought trunks full of belongings, but nobody ever saw these cousins leave. And the trunks always managed to stay behind. Eventually, a whole room in Bell's house was devoted to men's clothing. And by Amel's reckoning, that room held about 15 trunks. That is horrifying. Can you, can you imagine? Right, because now you're all the way from fucking Scandinavia or Norway, and you show up, and first of all, she looks a little different the way she described herself in the letters, <laughs> right? So you're just in here and just like, oh, wow, okay, all right, this is cool, you know what I mean? Land is beautiful, you know, and she's just like, oh, you could put your stuff in the trunk room, <laughs> trunk room, and then you just open a door, and it's just like... 15 different pictures of, of her at Disneyland with another d different man, all in the same position, all like in <laughs> front of a Ferris wheel, same stuff, and all of their bullshit collecting dust in a room, and you just drag it, and she's like, oh, there's not enough room, and she just like opens up one trunk of some other dude's shit and just throws it in the fireplace, and you're like, oh, there's a spot for you. This is straight up a horror movie. No, it's the driver's license attic and nothing but trouble. Or yes. the, the photos, yes, <laughs> or the photos from Get Out. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Well, still, even though guys were showing up, no one saw them leaving, and all their stuff was left behind... 
No one questioned it. Not really. Ugh. Here's another query. What did Bell do with all of those bodies? Well, that question was partly answered by the actions of a Polish immigrant named William Brogiski. All right. Now, isn't it often? How many beautiful questions are answered by the Polish people of our country? <laughs> Is this what you want to do right now? <laughs> yeah, what questions have been answered by the Polish people of this country? Oh, man, I'd say, oh, how do you make a brat both spicy and sweet? <laughs> hmm. What's the recipe for ice? <laughs> we lost it two generations ago, Marcus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's fun. <laughs> well, in the summer of 1906, Bell hired Brogiski to dig a few holes in her hog pen, six feet long, three feet wide, and four feet deep. There's a lot of widows looking for a Polish immigrant to dig a couple of holes in their hog pen. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I don't actually think that's true. She told Brogiski that these were trash holes, and Brogiski had no reason to think otherwise. Yeah. But as you can imagine, the real purpose of these holes, corpse disposal. Ah, mm. I, I actually was imagining that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Bell didn't just stack the bodies of her would-be suitors in the hog pit to rot. Instead, Bell butchered each and every one of her victims. <sighs> Each one was done pretty much the same. Belle would saw off the head, arms, and legs. Then she would wrap each appendage in a burlap sack before tossing the gruesome packages along with the torso into one of the holes. Just filling it up, filling it up, filling it up. And then she'd bury them. But there was also a kind of rage that went along with some of these dismemberments. While some of her victims were carefully butchered with saws, others were hacked with what seemed like axes, and some of the bones had been smashed with hammers. Sweet. But once the parts were in the hole, Bell would cover them with quicklime, always making sure to place the heads face up so she could look them in their dead eyes one last time before saying goodbye forever. These guys did not do anything wrong. Nothing. She, was, she hated no. them so much. She's just a straight-up monster. Okay. And the degradation of these bodies went even further than that. Some of her victims ended up in Bell's abandoned privy vault, meaning that these victims were actually buried in piles of Bell's own shit. It seems like that was pointedly done. Yeah. They, they said that they found several bodies in a row underneath the shitter, where she then had to move the shitter. Because you have to get either, you build it on top of it, or it's just a little building, right? So you'd have to, like, scoot it, go through your own shit, dig a big hole, put people you especially don't like, and seem to be several heads, specifically, Uh underneath the shitter, put the shitter back on top of it, and just load her up. So, uh, (laughs) uh, the sausage poops that must have been coming out of Bell Gunnis. Absolutely disgusting. Although, do we know? Did any of her victims ask to be buried in the shitter? <laughs> Was anyone just like, put me, make sure, put, like, me. put me in the, in the shitter, please? <laughs> but it wasn't just lonely, eager Norwegian men who were the victims of Bell Gunnis. In the fall of 1906, Bell murdered her own adopted daughter. Oh. Although we have no idea why Bell murdered Jenny Gunnis. The most likely explanation was that Jenny, who was 16 at the time, discovered just what her mother had been up to over the last couple of years. Because Belle gained nothing but suspicion for her daughter's death. There was no insurance policy or anything like that. 
But no matter the reason, Belle showed no sentimentality in disposing of the child she'd cared for over the last 16 years. Mm. She was hacked up just like all the rest and got tossed in the hog pits right alongside the dismembered remains of men like Gustav Thunes and Eddie Canary. Eddie you know, Canary? Eddie Canary, he tried to warn everybody, and then I he got know. murdered. That's Aww. what always happens. But Belle Gunnis, for me... I think there's almost a threshold of closeness that she would allow people. And I I almost think she viewed people with timelines. That I think that I think your theory is probably one obviously close or something close to it where Jenny was either discovering or asking questions about like why did I have 15 stepfathers this year? Like, why Why is this happening? Where did they go? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm certain it's that. But I also wonder if she just looks at Jenny just being like, I don't need some woman also as a competition to me, yeah. number one. Or two, you know too much about me, and I need to be able to fucking run and gun whenever I want. Because yeah. this is a scam that can only go for so long. If anyone you meet puts an expiration date on you with like one of those little like what do you those little guns. <laughs> a price mark. A little price, price <laughs> then you have hey, to go. Mark is so good to meet you. Eleven twenty one twenty three. I'll see you soon. What was, what was that <laughs> for? What was that about, man? But there was one man in Bell Gunnis's life who would somehow survive till the end and would even become a possible accomplice in her later crimes. That idiot's name was Ray Lamphere. And that's where we'll pick back up for Bell Gunnis Part 2. We did it! Can't wait. I have made my official decision. I've made my official decision on this. Catherine Knight would run away in tears. Bell Gunnis would win the fight. That's yeah. what I think. Because I mean, Catherine Knight was more emotional and um, more, um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, when you're re- when you're doing things uh, and you're, you're being um, <laughs> when you're doing things and being to, what? It's going to take a long time. <laughs> oh when you're doing oh things and being sentimental and manipulative, maybe. Catherine Knight was more manipulative, and it seems like Belle Gunnis was yeah. just a little bit more transparent with how brutal she was. I'll put it in a wrestling terms. It's like Yokozuna versus X Pac. Oh, well, X-Pac can take a beating, but yeah, push comes to shove. Yeah. Zuna's going to win. Yeah. Yep. I th- wonder, because I think they could trade a couple of shots back and forth. Yeah. I think the two of them could trade some shots. I I don't know, but Bella, because what it is is that she likes a sneak attack. Like, she that that's her thing. Like, she likes you not knowing. She right. likes total control. When Sam and Catherine Knight sort of did the same thing, but it was way more of an emotional outburst. Right. Where Belle was always locked in the pocket. Yeah, yeah. Tough to say. Well, those are the fun conversations we get to have here on this show. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening, and we are thrilled to see everyone. We will see you on Sunday, July 21st in Los Angeles, and Get your tickets for San Diego, the Balboa Theater. Mm-hmm. We will be there on Saturday. We cannot wait to see everyone. We've got some tickets still available for that. So go out there and get those, and we're going to have a great time. And, um, yeah, and, of course, we had a wonderful time at Comic-Con. So yeah. thank you all so much for coming out to our Oakland show and, uh, and for watching our live stream yeah. live, from, uh, live from Comic-Con. It's going to be fun, man. I can't wait. I love seeing the people. I love seeing the people, Kessel. You know. I know you do. I I know you do.
Call me later. <laughs> that's you're gonna. That's not even the Miss Cleo. That's your old catchphrase. No, call no. me now. That's that's, that's what Ms. you used Cleo. to do. Do you remember how that was the only impression you had for a while? Yeah. Do you want a hot dog? <laughs> and call me now. And that was yeah. But you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I miss. Do you want a hot dog? Do you want a hot dog? I, I can do a whole series of sentences in, in impressional voices. Uh, yeah. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, any other. We have our Midwest tour coming up. Speaking of the Midwest, we're mm-hmm. going to be in Minnesota. We're going to be in Milwaukee. Des Moines. Milwaukee. We're going to be in Des Moines. Can't wait yeah. to see everyone there. Get those tickets, please. Yeah, and we got another. We got a Northwest tour coming up, too. We're going to be doing Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, Atlantic City. And Port- I can't wait for this yeah. AC show, man. Yeah. And Port I can't New York. Wait. Yes. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I can't wait to see what high rollers we meet. Oh, that yeah. time period because we got we got a bunch of high rollers coming to the VIP. So if you're in the VIP crowd for the AC show, just watch out um, for these high rollers. They're just <laughs> I don't know what they're they, going to do. They're fine. They're wonderful people. They will try to buy your wife. Well, that's that's an indecent proposal, indeed. Yeah, that's what I always say about high rollers and AC. Wonderful people. Wonderful <laughs> people. You guys are so the Puritans that I have to hang out with. People, I love your high rollers. I love the high rollers. Um, All right, I guess that's about it, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Oh, hail Gein. Magustalations. Hail me. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. Fluffy bread, fresh tortillas, classic burger buns, and so many carbs. Carb fear is real, but Hero Bread makes healthier versions of the carb-heavy favorites we love the most. We're talking fewer calories, 0 to 2 grams net carbs, 0 grams of sugar, and seriously great taste. Plus more of the dietary fiber and protein you want. No compromise. Don't skip out on your favorites. Just use Hero Bread. Get 10% off your order at Hero.co with code Hero10 at checkout. That's Hero10 at H-E-R-O dot C-O.